This is Carla Pincott with the Centre for Independent Studies podcast, What You Need to Know About. Today we're joined by Dr Scott Prasser to explain five things you need to know about public service politicisation. Scott's recent paper outlined that Australian public institutions, especially nationally, once had a reputation for being independent and merit-based, but that's no longer the case. They've now become highly politicised. Scott, what are some of the forms this politicisation takes? Well, it takes a number of different forms. One, just appointing people because of their political allegiances. Uh, They belong to a particular party or they reflect a particular identity they want to promote. So appointing people not based on their merit or needed for the job or position. They can also mean appointing mates, uh, members of the family, nepotism, the old Napoleon trick, <laughs> um, putting members of his family all around Europe. Um, they can also can also mean distorting decision making so that you make decisions based on partisan considerations rather than public interest considerations. So the way you allocate funds, you prop up particular candidates or a particular project rather than a project that's needed in the public interest. So there's a whole range of those sort of things going on. Uh, and it's, it's a real worry to what it's doing to the uh, efficacy of our governments. Obviously. And you talk in the paper about the Westminster system being replaced with the Washminster system, which is a very clever term. Can you elaborate on that, please? Right. The Westminster system came in really in the mid-19th century uh, as a result of a major review of the way Britain uh, employed public servants. They used to have patronage, you know, people appointed because of their friendships or connections or because people actually paid for a position. Now, this led to disastrous results, and mainly in the Crimea War, where a complete disaster of the way the army was run and the wastage of resources and, and nursing facilities. So I had a review and said, we've got to start recruiting people based on merit. Mm-hmm. They've got to sit for an exam. Everyone's got to sit for an exam. And we want people to be permanent public servants who learn, have experience. So if there's a change of government, those people can advise the new government and be loyal to them and carry on and keep the continuity of government going. Now, in America, a different system evolved. In America, when there's a change of president, there's a wholesale change of all the top echelons of the public service. And the American president spends a lot of time in his first three months about working out who to appoint to these positions. Now, in Australia, what's happened is we've gradually got rid of the permanent public service and all public servants are now on sort of contract. And so when there's a change of government, there's a whole exit of people out and new boys and girls come in. So we've got sort of now the Washminster system. We've got a system of responsible government ministers, unlike America, but we've got a public service thing operating more like the American model without some of the checks and balances. I see. And look, what's driving politicisation and and how widespread is it actually? Well, it's being driven, uh, you know, you could say one one reason is we want to have the public service responsive to the elected government. And that's, that's a reasonable goal to have. We want the public service to do what an elected government wants it to do. But what's happened over time 
is in trying to develop a responsive public service, we've gradually filled it with all those people who are partisans or cronies to do what the government wants. So that's one thing. The other thing we've had in Australia and uh, other places, new management styles, the idea we can bring in people from the outside, they don't need to have experience about um, how things work, and they are you know, experts in a certain area, and they will do these things. So those things have driven this desire for greater political control. And another driver is because politics is now media, you know, se you know seven days a week, 24 hours, governments are paranoid. They want to be in total control of everything that happens. They want to be in total control of the public service. They want to know the public service will do its bidding. So those factors have driven to an increasing politicization of our public service. The other thing that's happened, of course, in trying to meet all the claims from different groups uh, on um, disadvantage or um, identity, they want to be seen to be appointing people who have the right uh, credentials in that area. And that's led to you know, further undermining of merit. That's the, that's the thing mm -hmm. driving this. And what are the impacts of this on, I mean, when the, the average person in the street might say, well, how does it impact on me? But how do these impacts actually filter down to how Australia operates? Well, what, what it means is the public bureaucracy, which used to be permanent, uh, based on people with experience who worked their way up the system, okay, they knew how everything worked. Um, that meant the public service had a real good memory of what worked and what didn't work. I could say the minister, well, we've tried that five years ago, it didn't work, minister. So what you've got now is influx of new people all the time who don't have the same experience as previously. And senior people have been making comments about this for some time. Uh, you know, Dr. Gary Banks from the Productivity Commission has been highlighting that we've lost our, the public service has lost its policy capability mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. uh, probe and research issues. Also, we've got a public service that now too often gives the minister what they want rather than what they need. We've lost Frank and Feeler's advice. And there's nothing worse than a public service not telling the minister, as we saw in the robo-debt uh, Royal yes, Commission, yes. not telling the minister uh, that this is wrong, this is a really stupid thing to do. We've got public servants on contract who say what the minister and the minister's office want and that's a very, very dangerous combination to have in practice. So we're seeing bad decisions, bad project management, um, bad advice being given over and over again, and an over-compliant public service. The minister should always get what he wants in the end, but he should be told, minister, if you do this damn stupid thing, these will be the consequences. <laughs> so, I mean, he should be told that what he actually wants is not what he wants at the moment is not viable and what he should want is the That's correct right. path. That's right. Now, the minister can stamp his feet. He's got to take the decisions, of course. But too often, um, you see in the public service these days, the public service ringing the minister's office saying, what, what do you want us to put in the, in the brief? And they were being instructed. Well, my view is, I want you to put in the brief exactly what your professional advice thinks should be in the brief. So the minister hears all the options, not just the ones he wants to hear. That makes sense. What can be done to turn this around? What are some of the solutions to get back to a, an actual merit-based system? 
Well, it will take a lot of time and it would really take both sides of politics coming to the party, so to speak. It can't be, the genie is sort of out of the bottle and it's going to be very hard to put the um, Westminster genie back into the bottle. So there'd be lots of solutions put up. One thing I like, I like the, you know, the American have the this turnover of staff, but they do have a sort of a, a bit of a check on this and they have what is called the Senate confirmation process. So when the president wants to appoint senior people to post, to Supreme Court, those sort of things, they've got to front up to the Senate uh, confirmation committee. Now, this is in the American Constitution, mm -hmm. by the so way. So it doesn't just get waved through? No. Now, what it does, it makes the president a bit more careful about who they put up to nominate. Very few nominations actually get knocked back, but it makes people check, you know, has this person got a, a record of drunkenness? Uh, they, have they actually got all their qualifications? Are they correct? What's their record? And they've got to front up uh, as a witness these nominations and go before uh, a Senate committee. So that's one thing. So I've been thinking a lot about what we can do in Australia. We're not going to be able to, when, it, when there's a change of government, there's going to be a temptation of any new government to sack all the department secretaries or some of them as time goes on because they don't trust who they've inherited. What I think should happen, uh, and a very good model for this, we now have anti-corruption bodies around uh, all of Australia, including nationally. And there are parliamentary committees that oversee those uh, corruption bodies. I think what we could do is look at them and what they have a major role uh, to have bipartisan uh, involvement in who, the, who heads those anti-corruption bodies. Now, I think what we could have in Australia is a special joint committee, but, you know, the House of Reps and the Senate, and it looks at um, uh, nominations to a small number of positions. It can't overrule the government's decision, but it should make recommendations. And this would make government a little bit more careful about who they're nominating uh, to all these senior positions. And I think the more transparency we bring to the whole process, that's the best thing. I don't buy the argument that's been put up at the moment by the current Albanese government. Oh, we're going to advertise, we have a selection panel, and um, it's all going to be above board. Look, selection panels and those sort of processes can be easily manipulated by the government of the day. Anyone who's worked in the public service knows how that works. Oh, well, look, we've, seen the bring... news, you've seen the news just last week about uh, somebody being appointed in New South Wales who wasn't even the preferred candidate. That's right. And New South Wales has had other, you know, the previous government had other problems too. Uh, so so this, is, this is a real problem. I think Parliament's got to be at the centre of this. There's got to be a joint committee and it should look at a certain number of types of, of um, appointments. Uh, it shouldn't be able to overrule government, but we ought to, it should be able to make a recommendations, yes or no. One other solution in England has to appoint a, a special commissioner of public appointments. And I think that's danger, danger, because that takes a very long time in England to make senior appointments, up to six months. Uh, and also, I suspect, like other commissioner-type bodies we set up, it will become captured by the very interest that we're trying to avoid. I think we've just got to bring some transparency to it and just make governments a little bit more careful about who they appoint. That makes sense. 
Scott, thank you for your time this morning. It's been most interesting. If you're somebody who loves audiobooks, you can find all of our latest research papers on Audible, Spotify, Apple, and every other podcasting app by searching for the Centre for Independent Studies Research Collection. You can also click on the link in the show notes page or description. We hope you enjoy your time with us today.